Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to skip on the initial verse like we normally read, and we're going to go right into There's enough here to be able to get out and hopefully in a timely manner so that we can get right into the food and the baptism. So if you would like, Bible's open, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to read through it, so just, just kind of follow along, and then we'll take it verse by verse. Here's Jesus giving to the Apostle John to write down his exact words. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have, no, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, and that may be that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we open up his word and we look at these verses today, the last church, the, the seventh of the seven churches that Jesus wrote a letter to, to speak to the condition of their heart as an individual, but also as a church body of believers. These are real churches that he was writing to and real parts of this world. These were diff seven different conditions of churches at that time in that region. And it was a complete look of the type of churches then, and it was the same complete look of the type of seven different type of churches, I believe, through the, all the history of our world. These are the, still the seven types of conditions or types of churches you will find even still today. So I lean toward the fact that these seven churches that we've been studying, we can see that throughout the world. Maybe even see that within even our own community. The question is, what type of church are we? What type of church are you individually? Today we will find the worst of all the churches. The one that you and I do not want to be associated with or identified with or have the characteristics of. The lukewarm church. We will see today in this letter, there are elements in all of the, of the churches, but there were some that did not have all the elements that we looked at. And today we will see there was no praise. There was no uh, highlight of what was good in that church. Only rebuke. Only warning. Only the cry of the Lord asking the people that are receiving this letter, you need to change. You need to come back. You need to follow me. Don't rely upon yourself, your self-alliance, your self-assurance, your selfishness that is causing you to become lukewarm. And there's a consequence, as we will see as we read. 
As we look at this, we see that Jesus' letters to the seven churches are God's examinations. It's his MRI. He takes and he uses his seven churches and does an MRI on each one of our hearts and says, what type of heart do you have? It's given to us so that we might examine our own lives and ministries that we're part of. And in these seven letters, we will find encouragement as well and as well rebuke. Today, we will see only rebuke and not much encouragement. But I should say, I rephrase that. You will see encouragement for those who choose to be overcomers. It will not be encouragement for those who choose not to change. This will be quite heavy. And I pray today, if there's anyone today here or online listening that doesn't know Jesus personally, that you would be open to the Spirit speaking to your heart and asking you to open up the door of your heart for him to come in and personally spend time with you for eternity. Amen? Amen. We see in Revelation chapter 3, the first part of 14, verse 14, is said, And the end to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. So we take a part and we look at what is Laodicea? What was the city like? It was a fertile uh, land that was in the Liscus Valley in a, in a providence of the Fragia kind of area that they dwelt in, and it was a prosperous city. It was found by a Grecian family, the Selitude, Selitude and a family of around 261 to 247 B.C. And the city was completely destroyed by an earthquake in A.D. 60. But what was interesting, and I bring that to your attention, is, is that when that city got destroyed, this city says it all. When, they, when the government and others wanted to come in and help them, they refused the help. They refused the help. They could rebuild it themselves. And we see historically they were also very so prosperous that they did. They prosperously brought this back out of the ruins and actually became one of the key retirement centers for the wealthy Romans. But Lydia refused this imperial help to rebuild the city. They successfully relied on their own resources. Testidus, the Roman historian, said they did not need outside help. They did not ask for outside help. They didn't want help. There are people, there's also societies and communities that choose to be so prideful, so reliant upon their own wealth, their own abilities, their own skills, their own talents, all these things that God has blessed them with. They don't recognize that God is blessed, but they think it's all of their doing, and they use that as a means to say, I don't need to ask for help. I don't want help. I am just fine myself. I'm in control. It's an attitude. It's a mindset that will bring destruction to them. From a spiritual perspective, you're in, some will say, I am doing just fine. I've got everything in control. i got everything I want. It's going according to my plan. It's that mindset that says, God says, you can think that way, but soon you're going to find you're kind of going to come to the end of your own abilities, your own power, your own strength, and you're going to be left with nothing. You'll be empty as you know you are. And then you'll finally surrender your life to Christ. See, we see here this city was somewhere around... I don't know, six plus miles south of Philadelphia. It's 40 miles or so east of uh, Ephesus. It's about 10 miles away from Colossae. It's an essential area here. And this city was completely destroyed, yes, but rebuilt, yes. But they had some interesting characteristics of the city because it was an important. It was a wealthy city. It was the wealthiest city of the seven cities we've been studying. It was the bank center of this region. 
But it's also through this and a very large, significant Jewish population that lived in this part of the area. But like other cities in the region, it was a center of Caesar worship and the worship of the healing God, very big into medicine, had a medicine school attached to the temple of Asclepius. And they, in this area, and it was worshiping the body and worshiping the creation versus the creator. Vidocia was also noted commercial center. It was big in the textile industry. They were very famous for their glossy, very beautifully made black garments. That was not only for that area, but spread throughout the, the known world. And they prided themselves in three areas of their life, of that life, that culture, of that community. And that was the pride itself on the financial wealth that they held. They were very well known for that. They were known as extensive the textile industry and the flow of all of that. But the third thing that they relied upon was the popular medicine and the creation of that medicine and skills. And they created a popular eye salve which was exported around the world and they were all known. That is where you get the eye salve to get the eye infections taken care of. One of their problems is, is where they built it was not a wise militarily located place. It was hard to defend. There was no place there to defend itself. They are vulnerable to all kinds of enemies to come after them. Why? Because you were, had a lot of money, so the enemies would love to come after you. You have resources that could be used, and they could, again, becomes a target. You have things that no one else has, this ISAB, the things to help when, physically when you're hurting. You, do, you will do whatever it takes to get something to take care of your pain, especially the eyesight. And so with this, they found themselves in a place where they couldn't defend themselves. And one of their biggest challenges is that they had a poor water supply. So they couldn't protect their city and, and, and wait out the enemy because they needed water to survive. And this water was always brought in from an aqueduct that was brought in through about six miles long from the hot springs of Heropolis. And this hot water would come down through, and by the time it would reach them, it was lukewarm. It wasn't even palatable to drink. And as this, you will see the character of this community, the character of this place. We'll find, you will see how Jesus will use this to speak to their hearts about the normal things they're dealing with in life and how they need to change. And you'll see the connection here, I pray. But because of the, the wealth, because of their textile industry, because of their popular ISAB, they're producing the, the pharmaceutical. It put the leaders of this community in a very tight position of negotiations all the time with the enemies. Why? Because the leaders of Laodicea uh, were always accommodating to any potential enemy, always wanting to negotiate and compromise instead of fight when the enemy's coming. See, when you don't know how to fight and you don't know how to stand ground and stand on truth and to push back the enemy, you will compromise to the enemy. You don't want to give up your stuff. You don't want to give up your lifestyle. You don't want to give up all your wealth. You don't want to give up anything. You will compromise with the enemy. And that's what this city found themselves in. But it's found themselves in a very poor condition that Jesus is going to address. So we see at the end of verse 14, these things, I, th these things says the AM, the, the amen, I should say. It, he's describing, Jesus is describing himself, just like in the other six churches, he's describing himself very distinctly to them and how important that is for them to understand who is speaking to them. These things says, I'm saying these things to you. Who am I? The I, the AM. I am, the amen, the faithful, the, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So when you take a look at these characteristics, these titles, these, this description, this nature of Jesus who's writing and speaking to them. Jesus Christ presents himself to the congregation as the 
The amen, it means truly. It means to so be it. What I'm about to say is true. Regardless of how you feel. True. Regardless of what you were taught. True. Forever and ever. His word has always will be and always will exist. It is will never change. It's the same. It's so be it. This is who's talking to you. Talking to them then, talking to us this morning. And it says the, in the Old Testament, this title that he has, the Old Testament title for God, we find is Isaiah 65, 16, where the word truth is the Hebrew word of amen. And it is the truth and it speaks the truth because he is what? The faithful. And he's also the true witness. The Lord was about to tell this church the truth about their spiritual condition. And as we read this, may it examine us to speak to our hearts and speak to us individually about our spiritual condition. Unfortunately for this church, they would not and they would not believe his diagnosis when all of a sudden he's presenting the findings from the MRI and says, this is what I see happening in your life. Oh, I know the outwardly looks great. I know you've got it all down. You fool a lot of people, but I've examined the inward, the heart, and this is what I have found. What did he find? An honest, truthful diagnosis. And it, this is this honesty is the beginning of true blessing. As we admit what we are and confess our sins and receive from God all that we need, this is a blessing because if you don't know you have an internal problem until the MRI reveals it and you didn't know that cancer was slowly spreading and deteriorating, you're going to die. Now this MRI is exposing what can be dealt with. It could be removed. It could be healed. So that you have a long life. This is what Jesus is saying. You need to change it for, the eternal, for your eternal sake. You need to change, but we need to do an examination of your heart. And that's what this Holy Spirit does. He brings and examines our heart, even when no one else really knows what's going on. In that, especially in that head of yours. But God knows. If we want God's best for our lives, if we want God's best for our church, we must be honest with God and let God be honest with us and not to tune him out. He's the beginning of the creation of God. This word beginning in the Greek word is arche, which means the origin or source. So the idea behind the word for beginning is means he's the source, the origin. This does not mean that the son of God was created. Where other false teachings will say. For he has always existed. It means that as the God-man came in and took on human flesh, he is the ultimate being of all creation. The origin of it all. Jesus is the originator, the originator of God's creation. He owns it all. He is the origin of all creation. Which means, this word means first in prominence, not first in sequence. You see, God the Father created all things through the Son, Colossians 1.16. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Genesis 1.2. The Trinity, the Godhead, God Himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was all one God, in all involved in the creation of the heavens and the earth. Always existed. This is who's speaking to them. I'm the one that created you. 
I'm the best one to give you that diagnosis. I'm the great physician that you need. And he continues here. Now we see what Jesus knows about. Here's the diagnosis. He's going to bring to light here in verse 15 and 16. I know your works. He said it to all all seven churches. I know your works. I know you're doing religious things. I know you're out doing things for for God. You're doing some kind of activities. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Well, that's interesting. That God would want you hot on passionate fire for him or as cold as can be when you're a non-believer. He said, I'd rather have you in those two positions, not lukewarm. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. See, this is the one church that had nothing positive in its credit column. Even though they were doing works, he says in verse 15. Many negatives, yes, in the column, debt column. But nothing of, the, of, of credit or positive here. He says the picture of lukewarmness would immediately connect with these Christians of Laodicea. Why? Because they drink the lukewarm water every day. So he uses these things that they deal with in their day to bring to light the conditions of their life. And he says, you know that lukewarm water that you keep? Oh, I, really, I can't even barely tolerate this thing. It's not good. For, I mean, we have to have water. He says, you're just like that water. You just want to spit. Vomited out. They understood it. Every day you understand he's saying to them about this lukewarm water you're dealing with. Just as the water you drink is disgustingly lukewarm, I'm telling you your heart, your condition, is just like that water. You're not cold, you're not hot, you're not, you're not, you're good for nothing here. You're useless in what I'm telling you. If you were hot water, you could be bathed and cleaned and, and sterilized and do things that need to be done. If you're cold, you're drinking cold, refreshing water. It's good for the, the body, it's good. The coldness is good for this. And to reduce inflammation, all kinds of things. Lukewarm has no value. It's in this spiritual sense that he's saying to them, this lukewarmness is a picture of selfish indifference and compromise you've allowed in your life. It tries to play the middle, not too hot, not too cold for God, not too hot, not too cold about doing things for God. I can take it or leave it kind of a mentality here as a Christian. In trying to do both things, you end up Doing nothing. Except, he says, except to hear the words, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It is a lady of sin who knew the Bible but was bored with it now. I could read it. I don't need to read it. Come to church. Don't come to church. Do things for God. Don't do things for God. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you're lukewarm. He's saying to them, you're lukewarm here. You're useless to the Lord's service and in the benefit of the kingdom. I think one of the greatest curses upon this earth is empty religion. Is there any soul harder to reach with the truth of God than the one who says they know enough about Jesus to think they're good enough. Oh, being in the ministry as many years as I have. When you come in and you're as cold and don't want anything to do with Jesus, matter of fact, you will 
you mock and all these things, I'm saying, ooh, you're, you're so close to giving your life to Jesus because you're so cold. Ooh, can't wait to get around you. But I get so refreshed and so, so encouraged when I get someone who comes in and they're on fire for the Lord and they love the Lord. They love the word of God. They love praying. They love to serve God. They just, they're open to whatever. I'm not, I'm not, I'm limiting God at all. I just want to just serve God. He's, he saved me so much. I just want to pour my life back out. And I get so encouraged for you when you're around. I want to be around you. But then there's those who walk in who are lukewarm and they've they've been around it. They've been around religion. They've been wounded by wounded sheep. They've been around wounded, got wounded in this whole religious thing. And they're just compromised. I'm good enough. I don't need Jesus. I, I know who he is. But Satan knew who he was. That's not a good position. When I'm asking you not if your parents are saved. I'm not asking if your grandparents are saved. I don't, I don't care about whether your, sp- your, your spouse is saved or, or, or even your children who got saved before you or if your, your siblings got saved. I'm asking you. Jesus is asking you. Are you saved? And if you are saved, are you hot? Are you lukewarm? The church of Laodicea exemplifies empty religion. Tax collectors and harlots were more open to what Jesus had to say. The ones who did not and the ones Jesus rebuked always was the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders who said they knew it all. Satan will have, will have us any way he can get us. But he loves a lukewarm religionist. He'll take a lukewarm religionist, someone religi- has a religiosity about him, a veneer about them of being religious. He loves lukewarm because he can use that person to destroy others. Cause people who are cold not to, I don't want that. Is that what, if that's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I don't want nothing to do with it. If that's the way that church is, I want nothing to do with it. He loves to use the lukewarm person as a beacon for him. That's why how important it is for all of us to, for the sake of our family and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, our community, We're hot for Jesus. We have a passion for our Savior. We live for him, and our lives reflect that that truth of his word. We don't just say it, we actually live it. He says, I could wish that you were cold or hot. It speaks of that aspect of that picture of uselessness. You're, you're not doing anything. You're, you're, just, you're just there. You're just showing up. You're going through the routine. You're going through this just as normal stuff. Again, he says, that is not where you need to be. That shouldn't be where you need to be. Even the, even the thief on the cross, he was cold toward Jesus on that cross. And then he came to a point of what? He saw his need for Jesus just before he died. And you got the Apostle John who fell in love with Jesus and he just, just loved Jesus all the way to the very end. He was hot for Jesus. There was nothing going to move John, the Apostle John from his love for Jesus and following Jesus and giving his life up for Jesus. There was nothing changing him. He was hot. But then you have Judas, who's lukewarm, who was all right there. He knew all about Jesus. He was right there with the rest of the disciples. He was there so close, he was even described as one of the 12 disciples. But what happened to Judas? Considered a disciple, yet not giving his heart over to Jesus in fullness. That's the danger of a lukewarm person. 
is the possible death impact on others. This is not something to mess around with. It's a stark warning for us. Deep down, there is no one more miserable than a lukewarm Christian. None. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. Got one foot in, one foot out. You're miserable, but you don't have to be. Just fully submerged into, turn on the hot. Follow with passion for Jesus. He saved you from your sins. He's given you eternal life. Now live it. Stop playing religion. It's all about a personal relationship. If you notice this letter, he, ref- he, he, he writes it to the Lady Oceans. He's writing a very personal one-on-one letter here. Not so much as the church as a whole, but a one-to-one letter to the individual reading us. But how could Jesus say, I could wish that you were cold? Because his desire is that you and I become hot. That you be completely, give your life over to your Lord and Savior. Completely, I mean live for him. He He wants you to be in the hot position. But if you're not willing, then he wishes he were in the cold so that when you're in the cold and you're so cold and empty and so lost and so into into this darkness back in the old life, you will finally come to your senses and come home. As hard as it is a pastor, sometimes when I look at someone's life and I can see that they're lukewarm, I want God's will to be done, and I sometimes I have to, as much as I want to go grab that person, keep that person so close to watch over him. The Lord says, let him go. He's going to grow colder and colder. He's lukewarm now. It's just going to matter of time. He's going to grow cold. And when he grows cold, he's going to come to his senses and come back. And that's the most painful part is how long do they go through that? How much of their life they'll destroy and hurt and everything else until they come to their senses like the prodigal son. See, this church, the Lady of Sion church here means to rule over the people. This church in this time, this, this type of church represents a church run by the majority rule. Instead of God's spirit ruled. It's names designated. When you look at that name and break it up. It talks about a congregational rule. A democratic church in which everyone has a a sway. And decisions and popular opinions and committees. And selfish demands and voting. And all these things to run the church. No, the spirit of God runs the church. Not the denomination. We're not a denomination. We're a body of believers loving Jesus and dwelling together to serve our Lord and Master. To reach the lost, encourage those in the faith, and live for Him that's pleasing. We don't run by committees. We do what God's called us to do and be faithful in what He's called us to do. How do you know that, Pastor, what he's supposed to do? I pray, I'm in the Word, and I know he speaks to me and shows me what I'm supposed to do. God has raised up other godly men to pray. He's raised all of you up to pray for the ministry that he's placed you in, to raise up. He's given you gifts, spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities to serve him. You just have to make it known. We never ask you to do anything. We wait until you mature and no longer lukewarm 
Or maybe if you're cold, you get saved, <laughs> and then you, and you come hot for grace. We just wait for your temperature to increase and become hot. When you're hot, you can't help but serve God. You can't help but give your life out. So we wait for God to do the work in you. If you're not doing anything, you're just lukewarm. Or you're cold. No, no, I'm, I'm saved. Okay, if you're saved, then get out of the lukewarm state. Get out of that cardinal state. Get out of that fleshly state. You've got to get beyond hot for Jesus. You've got to grow. You've got to mature. Keep showing up regardless how you feel, though. Let the Spirit do the work by the reading of His Word and the life-changing of the Spirit in your life. Verse 17. What Jesus has against them. He says, because, why? All the, you're lukewarm. You're not, you're not cold. You're not hot. Why? Because you say, I am rich. You're rich. I'm rich. I'm good. I've got everything I need. I don't need anything from God. I don't need anything from Jesus. I'm rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. When you sit there and say, I don't really need, what? You, you, what do you mean? I should go to Jesus and talk to him about this. I've got, I've got everything taken care of. <laughs> that is a bad sign, my brother and sister. <laughs> it's a bad sign if you have that in your mind. I don't need to go. Why do I need to go to God? It's no big deal. It's a little thing. I can do whatever I want to do. That is a bad sign. Why? He says, he says you do not know. You're rich. You're relying upon your rich. You're relying on all the resources, all the things you've accumulated. You, but you do not know you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I've done the examination. I'm telling you that's your state. You're fooling yourself. You're looking at your life and you think because you have wealth, because you have no need as a church, you've got everything care of. We're just, just, we're comfortable. We're just fine. No, no, no. Remember, the city of Laodicea was famous for their wealth, but the Christians of the city were spiritually wretched, miserable, and poor. They were, they were absolutely well known for their healing eye salved. But Christians, Christian, listen to me, you're spiritually blind. I know you've got the nice fine black threads. You're looking sharp. You look great. I mean, you look great. But Christian, you don't even know this, but you're spiritually naked. Your sin is, 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 is exposed. Do you remember Adam and Eve? When they sinned, what happened? They recognized they were naked and ashamed. God is saying to them, you think you have money, you think you have resources, you think of all these special things and these fine clothes. I'm telling you, you are not in the right standing. If you remember the church of Smyrna, thought they were poor when they were really rich, verse 9 of chapter 2. But here, the Lady of Seans, he says, you think you're rich, but you're really poor. We might say that it all began with their spiritual blindness. If you are blind, you cannot look at yourself and see that you're wretched and miserable and poor and naked. When you're blinded to the darkness, the, and it, Satan loves to keep you in darkness and blinded. Why? So you don't see the state you're in that you need to change. This mental darkness is the worst thing. It's worse than actually losing your sight. Having no spiritual vision is even worse. Verse 18. What does Jesus want this church, these people in this church who lost their vision here? He says, I counsel you to buy from me 
gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. What I have to offer you has been refined. What I can do in your life is refined. I turn up the heat. All those impurities in your life can be taken out. That dross can be wiped away. I can make that gold make you so pure if you let me work in your life, if you open up to me. I'll get the junk out. I didn't ask you to get rid of the junk. I'll take the junk out of your life. These white garments that you have, you may be clothed. Forget the black stuff, the things that made. I'm going to put white garments on you. I'm going to clothe you that your shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. All that junk, the sin in your life, it don't have to be revealed. I will make you as white as snow. I'll clothe you in the garments. An anointing of your eyes with the eyes have that you may see. See, when we take a look at this, remember in the white garments, it speaks always in the scriptures of the robe of righteousness, Isaiah 61.10. But what about this eye salve? What about that? Remember Jesus when he came up and someone was blind and he put mud on their eyes that would cause irritation? Why would he put mud on the eyes? It's a good lesson in understanding. Sometimes God allows irritation in your life to stir you up to finally bring healing in your life. Because if you're comfortable in the state of lukewarmness and you go, oh, this is kind of kind of comfortable. I'm a lukewarm. You know, I'm not too hot, not too cold. This is just perfect. Sometimes he'll bring an irritation finally get healing. The eye salve brought irritation to those who had an eye problem, but ultimately that irritation brought what? Illumination. Brought clarity of what you need to see. Sometimes we fight any discomforts. We get really upset with that neighbor, coworker, boss, even fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, we get really irritated. Let me reassure you, that irritation is bringing light to some darkness, some cloudiness in your life. It's revealing something that needs to change in your life, not their life. Yeah, probably they have things in their life to change too, but they are just brought into your life to bring to light what you need to change. Jesus is saying, you're seeing everything in a cardinal, fleshly way. You need to humble yourself before me and deal with the fleshly junk that's in your life. And this irritation is going to bring. The ISAF is going to sting. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt a little bit when you put it in. But when I bring this to light to you, it brings the fact that you know an awareness of the problems in your heart and the troubles in your soul before we can see things. We must be recognized there is things that need to change. And we need to repent. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's anything wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. That is not a thing you say when you first get saved. This is something you say to yourself constantly. If there's anything wrong with Lord, if there's search my heart, do the MRI. I need to know. If there's something the slightest and the simplest, the big things are gone. Thank you, Jesus, for taking them out of my life. But then as you get closer and he refines you more and more, you find those little tiny things you thought you never thought you had. Called pride. Jealousy. Bitterness. It goes on and on and on. That needs to be worked out. That needs to be healed. In this case, they're compromising selfish ways. See, again, as we will see in the remaining of these verses, we're going to see that Jesus is going to bring to light the fact that they're so selfish doing their own thing in a religious setting. 
that is bringing about lukewarmness, not a good thing. Too many people then, and throughout the years and centuries, history, people come in and look for a church that will meet their needs or what they want in the church. I'm checking churches out. We're just church shopping. We have nothing to sell. We have nothing to sell. What you're, what you're implying. Let me check out the church and make sure it meets all my needs. Jesus meets all your needs. Well, I want to see and check out the music and check out how the teaching is and, and what this and meet all my little social needs. And, and has a Jesus meets your needs. He brings us to a body of believers because he's given you a gift or gifts for the benefit of that body. So when you walk in looking for something that looks like you and you want everything about you, you'll be very, you're lukewarm. You have to understand, we come into the body so that God will say, okay, Lord, this is where you're calling me. I, I'm learning, I'm growing here. I, that's why we tell everybody, you're here six, 90 days, six months, you just sit. We don't ask you to do anything. We want you to sit and make sure this is where God's calling you and you're learning and you're growing and you're maturing individually. But then God's going to then use you in the body of Christ using the gifts that, and gifts and resources and the things that his ability gave to you for the benefit of the body. You're to give. This is not about getting. You're coming to sit with an open heart to be fed and to be learned and to grow and mature. But it's all about you giving. It's never about you just taking and what we could take from the church. That's a lukewarm Christian. That's a non-believer. Look at verse 19. As many as I love. This is, this is Jesus' word saying it. As many as I love. He's talking to you and me today. I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He's saying, uh, because I'm saying these to you, it's because I love you. I'm going to chasten you. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to speak to you directly of the things that need to change in your life. Why? Because I love you. As a parent, you rebuke, you chasten your children. Why? Because you love them. You don't want them going down the wrong path. You don't want them to self-destruct. And so he says, I'm chasing and rebuking because I need you to understand. You need to be zealous. You need to repent. You need to change. He's saying here this love that he's talking about, as many as I love. It's not an agape love, unconditional love. It's a phileo love. It means I, a, a, a deep Love, friend, friendship, a personal relationship with him. That's what he desires with you. A personal friendship with you. And he's saying, be zealous. Don't look to your own riches. Don't look to your own resources. Don't look to your own intellect. Don't look into your, all your past history and your future and all these things that you think you are got control. Don't look at those things. That's just going to leave you empty and lukewarm. It's not going to be good for you. You need to repent and become zealous for me. Living by faith, not by sight. Oh, in verse 20. Draw your eyes to verse 20. Behold. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, hears my voice, hears my word, and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus gave this lukewarm individual, notice the words, him, 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 her, 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 her. It's an individual, not the church as a whole. He's not talking about the church. He's talking the individuals that dwell within that church there. He's saying to him, I'm giving you the great invitation here. 
I'm personally coming to your life. I'm knocking at your door asking for entry to come in and spend time over with a meal. Spend time. Intimacy. Personal time. In those days when you sat and had a, uh, you were doing the double dipping and you were doing the noshing. This was very personal. He says, I want to come in and dine with you. I want to come in. I want to nourish you. I want to spend time with you. The creator of the universe wants to come and spend time with you and nourish you to give you insight and have you have to ask him anything over dinner. Ask him anything. He'll share with you. I'm coming here to dine with you. I'm looking for you to do that. And with me, this is not just one way. I'm not going to come in and just give you a fatherly kind of, of, of um, uh, or, a, or even a motherly kind of, 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 what's the word? The lecture. He's not looking to come in to give you a lecture. He's looking to come in as a friend to sit and have a meal with you, to nourish you and to encourage you and to have you be able to have two-way conversations around the table. And it's relaxed. The word here in the dine is in the word, in the Hebrew word, it means supper. It's the most and most important meal of their day was that meal. This wasn't a TV dinner. This wasn't a quick, they pop it in that microwave and sit down at the church, at the, at the, at the, yeah, some of you guys sleep too. But no, in front of the TV and sitting there and eating your dinner on TV and never talking to everybody and looking at your phone. And, no, we're talking sitting around the table with Jesus, talking, intimacy, personal here. That's what he's talking about. A lukewarm person doesn't want anything to do like that. I don't need to spend time with Jesus. Or have Jesus spend time with me? As long as I'm saved. Understand, the Lord Jesus does not force himself upon believers or non-believers. He does not apply force to that door and break down that door, even though he has all the power to do that. The idea here is Jesus at the door applies to the sinner and to the saint. Just the same. Jesus wants to come in and to you and to dine with you and have this personal, deep, meaningful relationship with you. Not through religion, not through an organization, but personally with you. Do you have that personal relationship with Jesus? Do you? He says, I stand at the door. And you can visualize him standing at the door of people's hearts. And sadly, as Jesus is standing there and he's knocking at the door and no one is answering. Remember the church of Philadelphia was the church of the open door. Here, the church of the Laodiceans is the church of the closed door. Closed to the personal relationship with Jesus. They're just doing religion. Why did Jesus stand outside the door? Why did he knock? Why did he wait until someone opens the door? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. For some, he's come and knocked at the door and then he, no one answers and he, Quietly just walks away. Quietly walks away. But he comes back and he tries again and knocks at the door of your heart. And he waits. And he quietly walks away. But let me warn you, who have heard those knocks and have ignored the knocks and have not given your life to Jesus. What happens if he knocked right now one more time? If you don't answer, you have no guarantee that he'll decide to come back and knock again.
He wants a deeper fellowship with you. He wants fellowship and communion with people who desire to abide in him. Do you, ab do you desire to abide in him? To be close to him? But notice his key words here, if anyone. Notice that Jesus gave the call to individuals. He didn't say, if any church. He says, but if anyone. We must not talk about setting the church right. That church needs to get right. No, no. We must pray for grace for each one for himself, for each of us, for his grace to be upon us so that when we come to him and we'll respond to him. Why? If the church will open the door, Not if the church will open the door, but no, no, no. If any man hear my voice and open the door. See, what most people keep forgetting is that it's all about the individual here. It must be done by individuals. The church will only get hotter if the people who come there get hotter. If you've, I assure you, our desire here is to abide in Jesus. Our desire is to teach the truth. Amen? The amen is the truth. We do not walk away from the word of God. We do not change the word of God. We do not add or take away from the word of God. And we Diligently ask the Lord to make sure we're only doing what is pleasing to him according to his word in this church. And so this church will get hotter by what? Me continuing to teach the truth. Do not hold back on that, which I usually don't. So that you will grow hotter. And when you grow hotter, this church as a whole will grow hotter. And we will not be known in this community as a lukewarm church. Or a cold church. Amen? Yes, finally. Verse 21. 22. To him who, oversee, who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcome and sat down with my father of his throne. Jesus has promised to him. If you will turn from a lukewarm and become an overcomer, I will grant you to sit with me on my throne. Can you picture yourself at the right-hand side with Jesus, who sits right at the right-hand side of his father? Oh, I do. I want to be right there with him. Psalm 110, verse 1 says, the Lord, said to, to, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, take till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will someday cause the scepter, the controller, his son, the Messiah, to go forth from Zion, by which he will rule in the midst of his enemies. And guess what? Because you're sitting with him, the promise to you and I as believers here is that they, we, you, will join him in the administration of this glorious kingdom to rule. We're going to be part of all of it. Now this may be the worst of the seven churches. But notice this is the most important of all the promises that were given to all the churches. You could be sitting at the right hand with our Lord. Everything can change if you choose to change. Remember, because he knocks at the door and he allows you with your free will to open that door or not. He forces no one in a, personal, in a close personal relationship. He gives, opens opportunity for all. He came to this earth, what? To die for all. What does all mean? All. <laughs> we make it simple here. Simply teaching the word simply. And like the rest of the churches, verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <laughs> I don't think anyone here, if I said, who wants to be identified as the church of Laodicea? I don't think anyone. Unless you, your wife just 
Oh, yeah, honey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't think anyone. I don't think everyone would do that. But we would be mother rather be identified as the Church of Philadelphia. For sure. But we must hear what the Holy Spirit says. We want the Spirit to come. We don't want to grieve the Spirit in the things we do here. We want the Spirit to move, to change people's lives, and to help us to become hot. Hotter, hotter. Get, turn up the temperature. Oh, may God deliver us from the self-reliant, compromising life of lukewarmness. First and foremost, the letters were written to real, existing, first-century congregations and to all of us throughout the centuries. Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you have and continue to do in the hearts of your people. May we be on fire for you. May we be so open to you to your truth, but an application to our lives, that truth, be obedient to you and whatever you're calling us to do, Lord. May we not selfishly think what we think, what we feel about, but really, Lord, we be open that all those feelings and thinkings and everything be lined up with your, desire, your will, your purpose for our lives, your desire for us, Lord. Keep the enemy away. Keep the confusion away. May we not stray and be moved in any way. But Lord, may we be on fire, not compromising, not running, not avoiding, but on fire for you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.